We're going to be sufficient. We're going to be total. We're going to be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Our prayer focus today, Father, was for the lost, and we prayed prior to service today. Our devotional was from John chapter 15, verse 3, and and how to live a fruitful life. Tonight, Father, we're going to dive into repentance, Father, and breaking the addiction of sin. And so I give you all the glory in advance for all the good that will come out of this service tonight. Jesus' name. Everyone that agrees with that prayer, shout it. Amen. If you would, just love on one, two, maybe three people tonight. Tell them, God bless you. Tell them it's so good to see you this first Thursday, the New Year midweek service, 718. Praise God. Powerful tonight. Powerful. Praise God. Once you're done, then you can be seated. It's 7.19 on the clock. I want to set some time aside tonight for us to pray. And we've got some prayer slips tonight that we're going to allow you to fill out any prayer requests that you may have. We're going to allow people to come down to the uh, podium here to, the, uh, to kneel and pray and grab items out. If you're led to do that, pray over them, pray over the whole bucket. I'll talk more about that when we get to that point in the service. But tonight we're going to talk about repentance and breaking the addiction to sin. And so... To help speed this up so that we can get to the prayer point, there'll be an outline on the screen tonight so you'll be able to keep along. Obviously, you know we give the messages away free on SoundCloud so you can go back, pick up anything that you may have missed. All right? And so in in the introduction, I have two points that I want to make tonight. Then we'll read our opening text. Number one, a prominent theme in the preaching of the gospel is the call to repent. A lot of times we think that's for the world, but how many know that's for the church? Starts with the world, but it's a lifestyle for the church. And so a prominent theme in preaching and the preaching of the gospel is a call to repent. I want to look at a few scriptures that support that. Go with me to Luke chapter 24. Let's read verse 46 and 47. And you're going to see that this is what Jesus actually instructed the disciples to do uh, once they were over into the book of Acts and they began to preach to the Gentiles. Notice what he says in Luke 24, 46 and 47. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise uh, from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So it's interesting he instructed them to go and preach repentance and remission of sins. And we're going to talk about what both of those things mean, okay? Peter also proclaimed this in the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. In his first two sermons, this was a prominent theme in both of those sermons. Acts chapter 2, let's read verse 36 through 38. Acts chapter 2, 36 through 38. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I want you to pay attention that when they heard the gospel or the good news, when they heard truth, they were cut to the heart. Now, how many know repentance can't take place unless something happens in your heart? We'll get to that. He says, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent 
and let every one of you be baptized uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, you see these running together again, of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice what he didn't say to them. He didn't tell them to confess their sins, did he? He said to do what? Repent. That's an important note there. Look at one more, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. You're nearby. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, again says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. We'll talk about that a little bit. That your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out means to smear out, to erase, to obliterate, and to wipe away. So how many know at Calvary over 2,000 years ago, he already dealt with your sin? And your sin has already been removed. So for the believer, how many know it's not a confession of our sins? It's a repentance that we need to do. Because he knows what we did is wrong, and we know what we did is is wrong. Right? Right? And so stay with me now. So notice what it says here, Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Converted there is not to salvation. We'll talk about that too. That your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And how many know we can all use some times of refreshing? That word refreshing there means revival. Can anyone use revival in their marriage? Come on, revival where their family is concerned, revival financially. We all can use a revival in areas of our life, but it's going to come first with our ability to acknowledge that we need to repent. Now, Paul also spoke of repentance when he was talking to philosophers and kings. I want you to write these two down because I think you all get the point. Go back and study them later. That's why I'm giving you an outline. Write down Acts chapter 17 and read verse 30 and 31. And then also Acts chapter 26 when he was talking to King Agrippa. These are just additional witnesses. I think you already get the point. Acts chapter 26, 19 and 20 when he's talking to King Agrippa. And you're going to see the same language that we just read in the other verses that we looked at. Now, point number two in the introduction, one cannot truly preach the gospel of Christ without the call to repent. And I don't know about you, I used to go to churches when I first got saved, Church of God in Christ. Man, them folks would be laid out. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? And their hearts would be broken, tore up across that altar and different things like that. We've gotten away from that because we preach a lot of feel-good messages. But the reality is everyone in here needs to repent from something. And I, when I say everyone, I'm talking to myself. All of us do, or you can't grow if you think there's nothing that you need to change. I mean, that's a prideful person that says that doesn't apply to me. If it's in the book, it applies to you. All right, now, so number two. One cannot truly preach in the introduction the gospel of Christ without the call to repent. So there are three things we're going to look at tonight. What is repentance, okay? Uh, This is all under number two. How is it produced, okay? And then what are some indications that repentance has occurred? Because I think a lot of times we think we repented, but we really don't know what that looks like. Would you all agree? And so a lot of times because of 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, we say, Father, you said that if I confess my sins, right, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unright. But, but I guarantee you, if that's all you did, nothing changed in your life. And I bet you went right back to doing whatever it is you confessed. Come on, somebody. I'm not the only one that's been through this process, right, right or wrong. Because that doesn't do it, folks. 
Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is our opening text or uh, foundation text, whichever one you want to call it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, This is really what I believe is the most elaborate discussion on repentance found in the New Testament. Okay, I believe this is the most elaborate discussion on the subject. Once I read this, there was really nowhere else for me to go because it was all right here, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, it says, Now I rejoice. Can somebody go ahead and rejoice with me for about 30 seconds? Praise God. He says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, watch this now, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, which means deliverance. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You notice what he says You didn't prove anything to God because he already knows who you are. You know who you need to prove things to? Is yourself. See, we always say, I'm free, all of that, right? But are we really? And how do you know? Right? Who are we really trying to impress? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to impress people. You want to impress God. Right? And so we can put on for people all day long, but the reality is whoever we are in private, everyone gets to see it publicly. Right? And so we want to prove not to God, but to ourselves we have changed. All right? Now, you'll see these points up here on the board, Roman numeral number one, and then there'll be uh, two points up underneath here. Let's define repentance. Defining true repentance. And sometimes as all of you all have learned in school, sometimes the way to learn what something is is to look at what it's not, right? So now, defining true repentance. Let's look at some misconceptions of repentance. Letter A under Roman numeral number one. Now, that repentance is sorrow. Now, how many of y'all believe or think repentance is sorrow? Oh, you all already own it, is huh? It is sorrow, but it's a certain type of sorrow. All right, let's go through this for a moment. You'll notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9, and 10, it shows that repentance is the outcome of sorrow. But watch this. Sorrow should lead to repentance. Sorrow by itself is not repentance. You know how some people feel sorry for what they did, but they haven't repented because they didn't change. So there's a difference, right? So there's Obviously, two types of sorrow that he's talking about here, all right? So then, true repentance, folks, is a changed life. You haven't repented if you haven't changed. Everybody clear? You just said, I'm sorry. Some people understand that repentance is a converted life, and in part it is, if you actually change. You know, if you're in a relationship, 
How many you know, if you keep doing, I don't care how many times you say I'm sorry, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, nobody believes you. And now the next time your mouth moves, it's almost like you said nothing. And God's no different. At the end of the day, nobody really wants to hear what we have to say. They want to see what are we going to do. Are you all still with me tonight? And so now it's all making sense to me about why we don't need to confess all our sins. You can't remember all of them. <laughs> You're going to miss something somewhere, right? So we're not talking. We need to find the areas of our life where we need to change and keep growing. Some of it can be as simple as there are things God told you to do and you haven't done them yet, which means you haven't repented. Okay. You'll notice in Acts 3.19, it reveals that we read already that repentance and conversion are two separate things. He said, repent therefore and be converted. If they meant the same thing, then he would be redundant right there, right? So it's, it's, they obviously don't mean the same thing. So we're going to talk more about that in a moment as well. He said, repent and be re, re, uh, converted. Peter said that, repent and be converted. So if repentance is the same as conversion, then again, Peter is being redundant. So we can see the order is actually this. And I want you to write this order down. It won't be on the screen. I want you to write it down so you all can take notes as well, keep you uh, actively participating in the sermon. I want you to write these things down. Here's the order first. When you've done something that you know is not right, first thing that's supposed to happen is a sorrow. You're supposed to feel bad about what you did. Okay? So, so the first thing in the order is sorrow. And I'll t t talk to you about which one. It's a godly sorrow. Then, number two, it's repentance. And then, number three, it should produce a changed life. All right? So, number one is sorrow. Number two is repentance. Number three is a changed life, all right? Now, a proper definition, letter B, a proper definition of repentance, and I went back to my old Bible school notes on this one. W.E. Vine's definition, uh, real simple, is a change of mind. And so, how many you know, if you just confess your sins, you haven't changed the way you think. So, you ever notice you go back to it? How many of y'all have ever said, I can prove it, we've all done it. How many of y'all have said, God, if you'll just forgive me this time, I promise you, I'll never do this again. Raise your hand if you've ever, come on, I'll tell you, I'm going to call you up here on this platform if I don't see every hand in here. How many of y'all have ever said that? Father, I know this is wrong, right? Come on, somebody, right or wrong. And if you just get me through this time right here, right? We all been there, but did it get you through? I mean, he got you through, but you probably went back and did it, right? If you didn't change anything up here, it's impossible to change the way you actually conduct your life. So confession of your sin is not really the New Testament way. Repentance is the New Testament way. I'm going to work with this all year long. And I'm going to tell you what I do. Because just like in a marriage, there are times, you know, like Sunday. I bowled up on my wife. Anybody ever bowled up on their spouse? She's trying to tell me something. Instead of listening, I bowled up. Okay, see, there y'all go. Anybody over here know? You know how it is when your spouse talking to you. You hear it differently, right? Till you calm down, and then you realize, okay, she's trying to help me. 
But that first response might be, now, now I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what I did. I said, yeah, babe, you know what? You're 100% right. The longer I thought about that, you were 100% right. So what am I doing? I'm acknowledging that what I did is wrong. And said, babe, you know, I'm, during this fast, I'm going to work on my responses a little better. How I many you know that's better than just... <laughs> now, let me tell you, none of that means nothing. Let me tell you what she's looking for. See if I actually change. Now, let me tell you what I understand. If I don't go educate myself and do some reading and grow in my love walk, nothing's getting ready to change. All right, let's keep going because I don't want to spend too much time. Y'all get anything out of this tonight? All right, let's keep going. Where we leave off at? Proper definition vines means a change of mind. Okay, it involves, make sure you write this down. It involves a turning from sin and a turning to God. You cannot do one without the other. I mean, you can't just say, I'm not going to sin anymore. You are going to sin if you don't turn to God. Did you all catch that? And turning to God means finding out what he said about that area of your life and then obeying it. That means you repent it because you change the way you think, which is going to change the way you behave. All right, proper definition here. It involves turning from sin and turning to God. Listen to this. You don't have to write anything. So to think of repentance as simply a change of mind in which we decide to turn from sin and turn to God. So think of repentance as simply a change of mind in which we decide to turn from sin and turn to God. What should precede that is a godly sorrow, right? And so you know that you've done something wrong because you should feel it in your heart, right? If you can keep doing stuff and it doesn't bother you, check your salvation. Everybody clear? All right. So all of this is preceded by the proper type of sorrow. You're supposed to feel bad for what you've done, but not in a guilt way. Let let me not get ahead of myself. And then that will be followed by a changed life, okay? So now, so repentance then is therefore a decision of mind in which one decides to change their life, but what prompts one to change is this sorrow that they've sensed that they've let their, their father down. Almost like a child. You know, they don't have to say anything. I know when they've done something wrong because their posture towards you changes. You all understand? They won't look up. You know, what's wrong? Uh, Right? And how many know that's all I need right there? I don't need anything else. Then we're just going to work from there on how to get you where you need to be. I mean, I'm not going to beat my kids up because they're kids. They're supposed to make mistakes. Just like we're, how many of we're all growing? God understands we're on our journey, we're on our process. So if he's not beating us up, let's not beat ourselves up. Now, producing true repentance. Roman numeral two, then there'll be two points under here. Producing true repentance. It is godly sorrow that produces repentance, all right? So you'll notice, we'll glean from that text in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, Notice what it says. It's not simply sorrow, but sorrow that is godly. I want you all to listen very carefully here, okay? Because we've all made this mistake, okay? So very carefully, we're talking about a sorrow that is godly. 
So there's a sorrow that is of the world, and there's a sorrow that is godly. Let's talk about the difference here for a minute. Worldly sorrow is selfish because it only focuses on self. With worldly sorrow, the person is only sorry because they got caught. Okay. All right, so let me explain it this way. So, you know, let's just say a guy cheats on his significant other. He had no intention on telling her. What happened was she picked his phone up. And as a result, she asked the question, have you? Then he felt bad. But how many of y'all know he's now feeling bad because he got caught? If it was a godly sorrow, he would have came straight to her. Number one, he'd have went to God first, and then he'd have went straight to her. All right, since you're all excited about this tonight. So worldly sorrow cares about self. It's only sorry because it got caught. When one is sorry because of what one did, or, or the other way of looking at that, they're sorry because of what they did and getting caught made them look bad. So it's not about changing, it's about how it made me look. Which is why, you know, when you catch people and stuff, they get aggressive back towards you. You ever notice that? That's a worldly sorrow. That's not a, a godly sorrow. That's a, you know, I got to act out to kind of deflect. Or maybe turn it on you. But, oh, 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 you can see everything I'm doing wrong. We're not talking about me right now. We're talking about what we just found you in. Worldly sorrow is more concerned about self. Godly sorrow is directed towards God. It's godly because it's according to God and His Word. So in other words, I'm more concerned about what I just did to God more so than anybody else. Now watch this. If it's just between me and God, then I don't need to address anybody else. I go straight to God because it didn't impact somebody else. But I mean, once it has impacted another life, if it's true godly sorrow, then I'm going to go to God first and then the individual, if it's a godly sorrow. And most people, if you come broken, they're ready to work with you. What people don't want to deal with is lying and deceiving and covering up. Come on, I'm preaching better than you all saying amen. But brokenness, I made a mistake and I'm coming to ask for your forgiveness, and I want to do everything in my power to make this right, people will work with that. All right. So when one is sorry because of their actions, they first acknowledge that what I did wrong, the sin is against God first, and not the individual. If you don't understand that process, my wife is not keeping me. God is keeping me. Do you all understand? 
And so if I ever do something to her, it's because I did something here first. She was the byproduct of that. Same thing with my children. Same thing with this church. If I fail this church, I didn't fail you preaching. I failed somewhere privately. You all understand? And because I didn't address it here, that's why I failed you all. You all understand? Stay with me now. You'll notice here, and I want to make sure I get this in. Go with me to Psalms 51. Let's look at an Old Testament example, then a New Testament example, and then we're going to wind it on down. Psalms chapter 51, verse 4. You all recall when David sinned against against Bathsheba? Right? You remember when he killed her husband, Uriah? His initial response was, well, I didn't do nothing. Cover up, right? Sent Uriah on the front line. He wasn't sorry about that at all, was he? Right? But after Nathan came to him, he was broken. Right? And then he penned this. We're going to look at that shortly. Then he penned these words, and I'll cut some time out. Just look at verse 4. Psalms chapter 51, verse 4. Notice he's writing this to God, and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, wasn't Bathsheba involved in this? Right? Wasn't Uriah involved in this? But he knows where this started. When I left you, it resulted in what I did to her and him. Said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So a lot of times we think when we're out and we're riding around, we're doing stuff, we think people, you know what, the only person you need to be concerned about that sees you is God. Because he sees everything, right? Said, against you and you only have I done this uh, evil in your sight, that you may be found, uh, that you may be found just when, when you speak and blameless when you judge me, that I may be found just when I speak and blameless when you judge me, okay? So now, so we're talking about one being sorry because I treated the price of what God paid for me wrong. That should bother me more than anything else. You died, you took a beating on that cross to, to deliver me from this area, And Father, I'm sorry I just trampled over your blood. That should be first and foremost. Because if I start there, then I'm typically going to treat everybody else the way they need to be treated if I keep that at the forefront of my mind. Godly uh, sorrow, again, one is concerned more about God than they are themselves. They're not trying to protect themselves. They're trying to be right with God. Worldly sorrow produces regret. So, in other words, I'm not getting ready to change. I just feel bad that you found out about it. It's good stuff, right? Worldly sorrow produces death, but godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, meaning deliverance. Kid I coached, he'll be listening to this tonight. I told him I had something for him. Kid I coached in high school called me, broken. I'm sitting in the dealership getting uh, new tires on my wife's car, getting oil changed. Good time to call. He's broken. He lives in another state, so this is no one here. I asked him because of what I was ministering because it was so appropriate. He said, sure, if it'll help people, just don't use my name. I said, I won't, and there's no way anybody will ever know who you are. And so he called, and he's, he's broken. Coach! I knew something was up. Coach! I'm like, what's up, big fella? Man, 
I'm st- I just did this. I've been doing the stupidest thing. God has blessed me with the biggest organization in the state of Michigan, and he started listing all the stuff that he had and what God had done for him and, and blah, 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 blah. And man, I've been cheating on my wife with somebody that works in my organization. Uh, you're going to be surprised how I handle him. I said, man, let me tell you something. You are already halfway where you need to be because you're broken, man. You feel bad about this. You just already talked about hurting God because of all he's done for you. You're halfway down the road, big fella. I said, now all you need to do is just own this. Own it with God. And then go look your wife in the face and own it with her. And then you're all going to be shocked. I told him he had teenage children. I said, go sit your children down and own it. Took him 15, 20 minutes of just crying, Minister Deanna. He said, you know what? I wasn't going to go to my kids, but everybody in my organization is talking about it. It's all on social media. So I said, stop, man. We're trying to protect you. It's not about you. Do you want them to hear that on social media or you want them to hear that from their father? And I said, they'll work with you, man, as long as they see your behavior change. And I began to walk him through this. And, man, we had a Holy Ghost praise fest on the phone. And then he said this, touched my heart. He said, Coach, there's so many of us that need you here in Detroit. I said, they won't like that to hear that in Atlanta. I said, but I'll be praying for you all in Detroit. <laughs> and then I had to get him laughing a little bit, Rick. I said, what's the temperature in Detroit right now? He said, I think I'm staying right here in Atlanta. I know the Lord called me right here. But, but how many know that touch your heart when you hear people like that? Say, we, need some, we need a man in our lives. I told him to own it, man. I said, it's not what you did. It's your ability to recover from what you did. Can you be better than your mistake? Hallelujah. 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 All right, let's come on down this home stretch here. Write down, producing godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Write down 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 13. I want you all to study that. We've got a lot of time this week where we spend a lot of time in prayer and in the Word, right? Study that because you're going to see, study the entire chapter of 12. You're going to see David was, was a, his sorrow was worldly at the beginning, which is why we all need someone in our life, folks, who can point the finger at us, finger at us and say, you're wrong. Right? How many of y'all, it's a blessing to have people like that in your life. That, that hey, no, that, you're wrong in this situation. And you need to go make it right. So read that when you get a chance. It'll bless you real good. Because after the prophet Nathan shared a story, because it's interesting, we know what's right and wrong. As soon as the prophet Nathan shared the story with him, he said, now David, what do you think should happen to this man? David knew, right? Off with his head. Kill him. He should die. David, you're the man. Oh, I've sinned against the Lord. I, how many of you shouldn't take all of that, folks? But if it does, once you know your card has been called, own it. Somebody sitting there with an email, that wasn't me. Somebody hacked into my email thing. 
phone. Somebody sitting there with text messages. I don't know how those got on my phone. You know how sometimes these towers get crossed in different signals and text. Come on, folks. Once it's laid out, own it. Come on, I'm preaching better than you all saying amen. Once it's laid out, own it. It's good stuff, isn't it? I'm glad you came to midweek Bible study tonight. All right. Now, this is the most important part I wanted to make sure I get to you tonight. You're going to see in that text there in 2 Samuel, there are really certain things that God will use to get us to the place of repentance, right? I'm going to show you the New Testament example. I'm not going to show you the, the Old Testament just to save some time. But it's always going to flow like this when it's coming from God. First thing he's going to appeal to is his love for you. You'll notice when the prophet Nathan started talking to David, he started telling him, God, I made your name great. I gave you all the wives in Israel. He started off by showing David how good God had been to him. Has God been good to anybody in this building? How many know you should treat that right? And then there's going to be what you did wrong is going to be revealed. Okay? And then once it's revealed, you're going to be warned of the consequences. Okay? Now, this is where I had a struggle with the grace message because the way I kept hearing it was, you know, you don't even have to acknowledge it. You don't have to talk about it. And there's no consequences. There's nothing you can do that's going to ever stop God. I'm like, man, something about that just don't sound right to me. There are always consequences on both sides, good and bad. So let's go to the New Testament to prove that out, okay? <clears throat> go with me to Romans chapter, uh, go to Romans chapter 1 first. Romans chapter 1. And this is not in my notes, I, it just, I was just, just quickened to me. Verse 16, Romans chapter 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to deliverance for anyone who, who believes. So notice then, the, the gospel or the good news or the word of God is the power of God. And it'll deliver anyone that's willing to believe it. So there's nothing any of us are going through that we can't be delivered from if we'll find out what God said about it. Once we find out what he said about it and we're willing to obey it, how many know he'll release the power in that area? For in this or in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall what? Live by faith. Those that have been declared righteous. Now, we know that that's unearned. That's something God did for us, right? So when we have a proper perspective of what he's done for us and that we're right with him, I mean, there's nothing for us to figure out, okay, I need to grow in this area. Let me find out what God said about it. Be willing to be, uh, obey that. How I many know that's living by faith, living by the Word of God? And then God's going to release the power in that area. Not only can we get free, but we can also walk in everything that the book said we can walk in if we'll follow that simple process, okay? Now, go to uh, Romans chapter 2, and let's look at this process. We'll actually go to Romans 3, 2. No, go to 2 first, and then we'll, we'll work our way back. So there's always going to be an appeal uh, where God's love is concerned. Look at Romans chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, 
whoever you are who judges. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those key words here who practice such things. So, I mean, we don't have to worry about God's judgment as long as we're not practicing sin. Okay, stay with me. And doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you despise, watch this, the riches of his goodness, his forbearance? How many know God been putting up with us for a long time? Oh, Lord, I want to try. How many know God's been putting up with us for a long time? I mean, that's some stuff God been waiting on us to get together for 20-some years, some of us. And we still haven't gotten it together, right? But has he stopped loving us? Not at all, right? So where do we have a place to judge somebody else when we have so much to still work on ourselves? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering? Watch this. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Leads you to change. So notice, God doesn't use bad things to lead you to him. God uses good things. What will happen if you continue in your behavior, I mean, it'll switch. And then you'll receive judgment on the other side. All right, prove that, Pastor Greg. I'll show you. He's going to use, he's going to start out with his goodness. Then he's going to tell you the consequences if you keep going down that path. Just like we do our children, right? First time, we're going to tell hey, I know you're a kid, you're growing, blah, blah, blah. Now that I've talked to you, now I know you understand, I understand. So we're going to give you a pass this first time. But the next time you do that, Right? See how goodness first, then consequences. Go to Romans chapter 3. Let's go real quick. Let's read 23 and 24. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, right, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, go back to chapter 2, and let's read verses 5 through 11. So, all of us have come short at one point or another in our lives, right? There's no question about it. But we've been declared and justified by His grace, by what God's done for us, right? So, it's nothing we can earn, right? We've all missed it, and we'll all continue to miss it here and there. We just don't practice stuff. All right, Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. But in accordance with your hardness of your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immorality. Notice he did not say perfection, did he? He said, no, they're just continually trying to do what's right because it's right. All right? Watch this. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish, and every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and then also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So think about it this way. I always tell my children, I will always reward you bigger than I'll ever punish you. 
Why? Because I'm trying to drive them towards doing good and chasing rewards. Right? But how many of they keep doing wrong, I am going to discipline them. Doesn't mean I doesn't love them, right? I don't love them, right? But they're going to get disciplined. Right? Now, if we have enough sense to do that, how many know God has enough sense to do that? All right. So now, I think we get that picture. Now, indications of true repentance. And this is in our text. We're going to go through these very quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, okay? All of these are right in that text, verse 11. How many of y'all believe that you repented? What do you use to measure whether or not you've actually repented from something? Change behavior, right? I actually want to give you a checklist. Can I give you a checklist? And it's all in the Scripture, right? Watch this. In verse 11, you're going to see all of these things are, are in this checklist. First thing you're going to see is diligence. I think the King James Version says carefulness, right? In verse 11, right? Can you all see it? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. Do I need to read it? Or, or turn to it so you can follow along with me, okay? And this will be a little checklist. This is an indication whether or not you've truly repented, okay? And I'm just going through the key words right here. Are you all there? You'll see that word diligent there, right? You all see it? It says, now I read, in verse 11, it says here, uh, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, it says, what diligence it produced in you. First thing you're going to notice is that you're going to be diligent, folks. You're gonna, that word means earnest. You're going to have some zeal, and you're going to have some, some, some haste about being quick to make what you did wrong right. And you're going to know that you repented because you're going to be so diligent about making it right you're going to be more diligent about making it right than any wrong that you've ever done. Can you all see that? Let me just go through the words because it would take me all night if I, if I stop and read and then go back. Then you'll also see, well, an example of this again. Well, well let's go. Then you'll see a clearing of yourselves. You all see that phrase there? Clearing of yourselves. Number two, so number one is diligence. Number two is a clearing of yourself. To clear oneself of blame. What you want to do is get to a place where that's no longer on your record. Right? Most people who are sincerely trying to change, they want to obviously be quick to do what's right, but they want to clear themselves of the blame. So they'll be quick to stop what is wrong, uh, and they'll be quick to respond in a way that is moving towards what's right. And that's how you're going to know that you are truly changing and you've repented. Number one, you're going to be diligent about it. You're going to work very hard. Number two, to clear yourself. Number three, there's going to be an indignation there. This involves some sort of anger or moral outrage. It's going to bother you what you did wrong. And this is not an anger towards people or towards God, but you're going to be angry at the sin and whatever it is that you did wrong. And it's going to bother you that you did wrong in that area, and you won't stop until you overcome that area of your life. Okay? You all clear about that? So it's going to produce an indignation towards the sin. Number four, it's going to produce a godly fear. Uh, you'll see that word there, lest the sin should be repeated. If there's no reverence there, then how many of you are just going to go back and do the exact same thing? So it should produce some kind of reverence and fear that, man, I don't want to hurt God. And I definitely want to keep, I don't want to keep doing this and deal with what consequences might come along with it. All right, then you'll see a word there, vehement desire. 
That's a fervent wish. And what is the fervent wish? Wish to be right with God. End of the day, you're going to have this, this vehement desire to be right with God. And you'll get to a place where even if you don't end up being right with the people again, as long as you're right with God, you're going to be okay. And then it's going to produce a zeal. That zeal will involve an eagerness, uh, an interest, and a pursuit of permanent change in this area of your life. You're going to be excited and have some zeal about this area of your life and changing. I know for me, coming out of the world, clubs, females, drinking and all of that, I mean, you have to have a zeal every day to stay out of that and not go back to it. It should produce that in you where you're trying to get so far away from it you're not, I mean, you're not, let me go see, see if I'm really free from it. <laughs> let me see how I act in the club tonight, just, just to see if I'm really free from that. No, it's actually going to push you a completely opposite direction. All right, and then vindication. I love that. King James, I think, uses the word revenge, but it's really talking about vindication. Uh, you won't stop until justice has been done. You've been vindicated, and you're clearly a new person. Isn't that good? I can tell you all, folks, nothing feels better than vindication. When somebody else said you're wrong and you proved that you can come back from that and be right. Or you lost or made a big mistake and everybody said you'll never be nothing and you came back and became something. I mean, vindication is great, especially when God vindicates you. All right, so now, These are the signs of true repentance, okay? So not a apathy or a half-hearted service, but a desire to do works that are meet or befitting for repentance. And we're going to close right there. Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 21. Notice what he says. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, And then to the Gentiles that they should repent. Turn to God. Watch this now. You should underline this in your Bible. And do works befitting repentance. Which simply means if you've truly repented, there's going to be some kind of corresponding action in your behavior that fits what you did. All right? And I always tell people, as I was telling this uh, husband, I said, your works now need to fit your crime. And you need to be able to deal with her, whatever she needs to go through. Hello, somebody. And give her the space to go through what she needs to go through as you try to win her back. With no pressure on her and give her the freedom to go whichever way she wants to go. Because she has liberty. But if it were me, I would pursue her like I did to marry her. And I wouldn't stop until I won her back, until all of my actions were consistent with what I've been saying. So much so that she doesn't even remember who I used to be or the mistake that I made. And I said I'd be so accountable to her, she'd have access to every aspect of my life. I said I'd take her and I'd go to that female and I'd apologize to that female and her family in front of my wife. What I did was wrong. I should have never got involved in this. I love my wife. I love my family. I want to be with them for the rest of my life. And so we're going to have to ask that you not be a part of the organization anymore. 
We'll help you. We'll give you severance, whatever we need to do to make sure that you're home. But this is for, for my family. I have to do this for my family. If you've truly changed, there are going to be some corresponding action that agrees with that. And there is a conclusion here, but I've said all of it. Did you all get anything out of this tonight? All right. So for the believer, do we necessarily need to confess our sins? Hmm? We need to acknowledge that what we did was wrong. What is more important? That we repent, right? What does repent mean? Change, right? And I can't change my behavior if I don't change the way I think, right? And what process is God going to use? He's always going to appeal to us and demonstrate his love to us first, right? And through that love, that should re- produce some, some level of conviction where we're concerning godly sorrow, right? Which should produce some kind of repentance. And then from repentance, a changed life, right? All right, praise God. We've got about 10 minutes on this clock tonight. And so what I want to do tonight, could you just play me something uh, real light there, Emmanuel? Uh, and we don't need to take a lot of time because how many know you can't pray this stuff away? That's why I took the time to minister tonight. I mean, you can pray till 3 o'clock in the morning. If you don't get some information, you'll be the same. Your spirit will be built up, but your life can't change because you didn't get any information. So tonight was really about giving you that foundation. And I pray you'll take these 21 days, reflect.